Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. My name is Todd McLaughlin. I'm so happy that you're here. Check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. We do have a special for new students. If you want to try practicing on our live stream yoga classes, you can do so for two weeks free, unlimited. Uh, give it a try. Go to nativeyogacenter.com. Thank you. Let's begin. I'm pleased to bring you Anthony Profeta. Anthony is a meditation practitioner and instructor, teacher. Check him out on his website, anthonyprofeta.com. It is spelled A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-P-R-O-F-E-T-A.com. You can also find him on Instagram at Anthony Profeta Meditation. He also has one-on-one -on -one mentoring coaching. So if you're interested in learning meditation, check him out on his website and reach out to him, send him a message. He's a great meditation teacher. I've had the privilege of hosting him here at Native Yoga Center to do sound baths with crystal bowls and sound healing. And he's just a really nice guy. I'm so happy that you get to uh, join us today for a conversation. And here we go. Let's begin. Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, Todd. It's an honor to be here with you. Thank you so much. The last time I had a chance to see you is you did a sound bath meditation here at our studio in Juno Beach at Native Yoga Center in February of 2020. And okay. uh, a lot has changed since I saw you last. <laughs> <laughs> a lot has changed, yes. I think for not only us, uh, but I think many people. Yes. And yeah, you uh, you actually saw me right before I went to um, one of my retreats to India. And I was in the middle of the chaos. Um, I was supposed to be there till April. And the whole world began shutting down. And I was there with a, a retreat group that I was bringing over. And we all had to find and scramble away out of India before they went on lockdown. And it was like a movie trying to get out of there for me. And then, yes, came back to a very different world. Man, that's amazing. I, I remember right before, well, when I saw you for that workshop, uh, and then just to paint a picture, we had a very full room. Everyone had yoga mats on the floor. They brought blankets, yeah. pillows. Everybody was bunched together in the room. Um, lights dimmed. You had your sound bowls, which have this really incredible quality of vibration and sound to them. And it was an amazing event. And uh, I guess I'm, I wanted to paint that picture because we can't do that right now. Or, or it, 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 so I, I just, well, one, I feel really thankful that right. we were, we were going for it. <laughs> and, yeah. and, um, I remember at the end of it, I had said to you, Oh, you're going to India. Wow. That's going to be incredible. Just because we were all wondering like what's going on. So I, I'm, I'm curious, can you flesh out a little bit more of what it was like being with a group of travelers in India? Um, was it a, was it a bit harrowing? Was it stressful? Like how did that go down? <laughs> It was it was probably a mixture of every emotion that you could probably think of <laughs> because the way it went was that, as I mentioned, we were supposed to be there until um, just as, about the first couple of days of April. We came back. We were supposed to come back April 4th, mm. and we're all sitting at the dinner table in a place called Rishikesh, India, mm. and we're ha it's about 8, 9 o'clock at night. We're having dinner, and on the 21st of March, and all of a sudden, all of our phones start getting messages. Beep, beep, beep. They're buzzing. They're getting little 
um, you know, text coming through. And we all look at our phone and every one of us get a message that our Emirates flight back to the United States is canceled. Uh, and we're like, oh, my God, what is this all about? Yeah. <laughs> so we asked the people in the restaurant and they ran over to their manager. And the manager said that India just announced that starting at midnight of the 22nd of March, all international flights in and out would be totally canceled and that the country was going on lockdown wow. and at that time they said it was only going on lockdown for like eight days it was supposed to reopen on like march 30th so mm, mm. we were like oh my god what are we gonna do so we all jumped on the the uh, apps like you know cheapair.com or kayak or whatever it was and we were all looking for flights and what was so crazy at that point was when we were looking for a new flight home one way the United States, the apps wanted like $10,000. Oh my God. So, we're, <laughs> so all of us are like, what the hell do we do? And <laughs> some of them, uh, you know, like there were teachers there. They're like, that's half my salary. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's half my salary. <laughs> so we're like, oh no. So at that point, you know, the, the emotion of like, stress, anxiety, wonder, what, what's going to happen. So one person was smart enough to say, let's call the embassy. So we called the embassy. Um, they said, yes, we've heard what's going on. Thankfully, they picked up. And uh, they were like, listen, that's just uh, an algorithm because everybody's trying to find flights right now. It's not the airlines. It's these apps that are just creating through supply and demand. They said, we would recommend you get back to a major city that has a major airport and try and deal maybe with the airports directly wow. and the airlines directly. Yeah. So now we're in Rishikesh. It's the night of the 21st. It's 9 o'clock at night. We have less than 24, oh, just over, um, I guess, a day to get back to the United States. So we had to jump in cabs and get back to Delhi, which is about a five, five and a half hour ride from Rishikesh. <laughs> and so we had to jump in cabs at nine. Oh, well, by the time the cabs got to us, it was about <laughs> 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> and now we're driving from midnight, from 11 o'clock past midnight till 5.30 in the morning to get back to, Rish, uh, to Delhi. So we're exhausted now. So now it's not only like, Stress, but now it's exhausting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we get to Delhi, and finally, we find uh, one airline that had tickets. The problem was there was only six, and we're a group of ten, so we had to split the group up. And I said, "All right, since I'm the group leader, I'll stay back with whoever can afford the ticket because it was still quite expensive." And uh, we were hoping just to bunker down until the end of March 30th because we weren't going to be home till fourth of april anyway yeah and so we said we'll just hunker down in india for another week but then one person said well but i have kids and what if they don't re open up until after mm, wow and i said oh well that's a good point so I kept trying, <laughs> yeah. trying, trying. i finally found us another airline that was we were able to get on at actually eleven forty-five p.m so an hour and 15 minutes before the official lockdown wow. all the rest of us were able to get on that and finally everybody gets out of there but it was really like a movie and every emotion it was a roller coaster of emotions for everyone there i tried through my meditation practice to remain centered and calm <laughs> <laughs> and peaceful but i did know i had a lot of people you know care lives in my hand yeah. you know yeah and trying to get them home from another country when i don't know what i'm gonna do when everything's shutting down it was a little bit stressful for Whoa. me <laughs> That is a great story. Oh my gosh. I know. And, and I, cause I remember the feeling when I saw you last, it, you, you were like, well, we're going, 
And, and I remember yeah. thinking like, I know I, I would, I would too. I would too, because you it really, I kind of had this feeling of like, this will last a week, you know, this right. will be like a, a week and I'm mean, it's crazy, silly idea, but um so wow that's amazing well i'm so happy you guys made it back safe and uh, thank you thank you yeah that's that's probably in terms of being a retreat leader that's got to be like (laughs) up there with like challenges difficult challenges that's that's amazing absolutely it definitely was and everybody though when we got on the plane when we know we're getting out of there they're all clapping and they're like this is one retreat you will remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hear you man i hear you well that's really cool i i uh i would like to give the listeners the opportunity to have a brief history of sure. your evolution in term in meditation in terms of your when did you first start getting interested in meditation and or was there a a moment where you had uh awareness that you wanted to practice meditation okay um i actually got onto the meditation path over two decades ago back in the year 2000 and that was for my own personal spiritual reasons i i was very into um understanding different religions, different paths, different spiritual paths, and what people saw as, um, you know, the purpose of life. And many of them said that there's something beyond our physical nature and this physical reality that um, is the true reality. And they gave it many different labels and many different names. But whatever um, philosophy or practice or religion I was studying, they always said that the way to recognize that was not by searching the outer world, but by turning within yourself and searching the inner world Mm. and coming to know what, if they called it, you know, God or whatever it was or spirit or whatever was by turning within and that is found within you. And whether they called it meditation or whether they called it contemplation or anything else, it was like, that was the way to experience it. Mm. And so I got onto the path for that reason. I wanted to try to, connect as many of the mystics would say of many of the different traditions with that source that is beyond our physical nature. But I never thought I'd be one day teaching these practices. Mm. And then I always knew I wanted to help people in their journey towards self-healing, but I thought that was going to be as a doctor. And I entered medical school in New York city Mm. and thought it was going to be through a traditional medical practice that I'd be helping people you know, navigate this world in terms of a healing practice. But while I was there, one of the things that I sort of wasn't resonating 100% with is in Western medicine, they basically teach you to treat symptoms. Mm. So a person comes into you, they rattle off a bunch of these symptoms and, you know, try to get rid of those symptoms and send them on their way. But what I always knew was that all of their studies by the American Medical Association and top universities by Harvard and Duke and Wake Forest and Yale, they have proven that nearly, it used to be about 70% 70 of all illness and disease, the number one root cause was stress. Mm -hmm. Recent studies, though, have now determined that nearly 90% of all doctor visits and nearly 80% of all illness and disease in this world the number one root cause and underlying factor to it is stress. And so I was never understanding why 
we were being taught to treat a symptom if a, strength, a symptom is just like a sign or a consequence of an underlying stressor. So yeah. I wanted to help people get to the underlying root cause because if you don't get to the underlying root cause and root it out, you're not really helping the person heal mm. because if there's a stressor that's creating a symptom and we just take the symptom away, the stressor says, hey, wait a minute, you didn't do anything about me. And if I can't manifest myself through this stressor anymore or through this symptom anymore, me, the stressor, I'm going to have to go to another organ system, another part of the body and begin to create symptoms, disease somewhere else. Yeah. And so I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to kick the can down the road. I knew from my own firsthand direct experience of working with meditation so long, how much my meditation and my mindfulness practices helped me through very stressful times of my life. So what I began to do is shift my perspective of rather than looking at meditation as a spiritual practice, really look in on what does it say about, what did the studies say about, you know, it being a practice for well-being and health. Mm. And so at that time, there were probably about three or 4,000 studies that I could find in terms of meditation practice on all different types of things and its benefit. Now, there are nearly 8,000, almost double wow. scientific yeah, studies that actually do prove and demonstrate that meditation does give you the tools to help you de-stress the body naturally and how it has a powerful effect on stress, stress management and stress relief. Yep. So I began to take a much more holistic sort of turn and shift from the traditional route of traditional medicine and move more into stress reduction, stress management, and mindfulness teacher and practices. And once I did decide to do that, I dove pretty deep and I did go to live in India and Nepal, living in some monasteries for a period of time, um, actually living as a monk for a while and living in some ashrams for a while studying many different methods because I knew if I wanted to help people in this journey and really, you know, guide them on the, through this very stressful world, I knew that there are many different people out there. There's, a, you know, almost like what, 7 billion people. So that means there's about 7 billion different minds out there and not everybody likes doing the same thing. So I needed to have a vast variety of tools to pull from, from my toolbox. So I spent many years studying many different methods of meditation. So I'd have the ability to do that. Nice. Awesome. Did you, I'm guessing that you have ranged between if we were to break it into two categories, like formalized meditation and then maybe informal meditation. Uh, have you experimented in both of those sides in terms of like, say when I think of a formal meditation, like where, Maybe like the method of Vipassana where you, you know, you sit for an hour and, you know, try to hold in that position for that entire time versus say an informal meditation, which might be for a walk on the beach or, or yep. do you, do you make distinctions like that anymore? Or do you tend to, you know, think of everything as meditation? I'm curious how you see it. No, you're, the way you actually described it is actually the way I do describe it to people who come to me or any students that I have coming to my meditation classes or workshops or trainings. Mm. Um, I do describe it as formal and informal. Mm. So to me, a formal sit or a formal practice is where you are doing something where you're maybe seated in a chair or seated on a cushion, or you could be lying down, mm. but you're like trying to keep the body still. And focus on an object for, you know, an extended period of time, whether it be a mantra or the breath or body sensations 
or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the in, yes, the informal ones would be something like you know mindful coloring books, or mm-hmm. you know if you're meditating while practicing, like while you're painting, you know, or even playing music could actually have elements of meditation um, sort of associated with it. If you're just totally focused and into uh, the instrument and what you're playing and all those sort of things. Like when, um, you know, a great musician, maybe like an Eric Clapton sort of is playing the guitar with his eyes closed and he's just like one with that instrument. Yeah. I believe that he's yeah. sort of in a zone and in like a meditative state at that point. Yeah. So yeah, to me, the informal ones would be things like that. Or like you said, doing a mindful walk on the beach, uh, and that would be in contrast to sitting on a cushion or sitting in your chair and, you know, being sitting still and uh, focusing on maybe like the breath. So I do categorize the formal and informal. Cool. I really enjoyed your, I really enjoy it, but in the past I've been able to attend your sound baths and I, I, I would maybe, I guess for me that was an experience in where I've, I'd had more formalized meditation experiences and I find that, or I found that being in the sound bath was extremely relaxing. It took some of the maybe stressors off, in fact, in the, in the, along the lines of like, okay, I'm going to try to sit here in the pose, even though there's going to be potentially discomfort in my back and my knees and my hips. I'm going to try to stay here in this position. Whereas then in the sound bath, it was like you, you were encouraging, you can lay down, you can put a pillow under your head. If you, <laughs> if you even, you know, drift off a little bit, that's okay. Um, which I really appreciated because, you know, I, I think there ha- there needs to be a balance between the formal and the informal. Do you yeah. sometimes see people that gravitate more toward one than another and do you what what is your advice for people that do you sometimes if they're always leaning toward the informal do you try to encourage them to do more of a formalized to help balance that or what is your thoughts on that that's an excellent question um i encourage people to get into a practice or start in any way that they find comfortable or you know, can resonate because, you know, if you send somebody to a Vipassana retreat, which I think they're wonderful, I've been on many of them, and I, I, you know, I don't know anything that really maybe gets my mind as concentrated still as being in like a 10-day silent (laughs) Vipassana retreat, meditating like 12 hours out of the day. But there are some people that if they're beginners and you're telling them, all right, you got to sit for 30 minutes to an hour and don't move and all of this it can be overwhelming for them, especially if they've never really done it before, especially if they've never really tried to sit with themselves before. And then they begin to see how maybe chaotic their mind is and how it's jumping from this thought to that thought that they actually get like restless or nervous. And so I encourage people to find something that is easy for them to start to work with, start slow. Uh, Many people I do find if they are beginners, something like a sound meditation or a sound bath meditation could be a good doorway for them to enter Mm. because with the sound meditations, it's very often like they're listening to a song Mm. and you're just trying to tell them to, Hey, just try to focus on the song. Mm. And, uh, many times the sounds of the bowls, at least for many people, they have a sort of pleasant, calming, peaceful, relaxing sound associated with it. 
And so the mind is sort of like, oh, that's pleasant. That's nice. I don't, I don't mind paying attention to that. Yeah, and so, and so many people will find that it's a little bit easier, maybe starting with that or starting with something like sound. Even I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, a man back in the '60s who was doing a lot of teachings. He's from England, but was doing a lot in California. His name was Alan Watts. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Alan Watts very often recommended that using sound and listening with the ears, the gateway of the ears was often the very easiest way to get into a meditative state. Mm. And so I, I do find that many people have that similar experience with um, singing bowls. Mm. Because, again, it's sort of like they're listening to a song which the mind seems or finds sort of pleasant. And it seems they would say afterwards, from many people who've attended, they would say, you know, I didn't seem to have as many thoughts. It's like my mind wasn't mm. wandering as much. It seemed to cut through the mental chatter. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, that often happens a lot because the mind, since it finds it sort of pleasant and it's sort of like listening to a song, I often say it's like the mind is entertained by the singing bowls. And so it actually stays focused a little bit better. Now the mind will still wander. They still have thoughts. That's just the nature of the mind. You know, it has a mind of its own going to think about the past <laughs> or the future and all of that. But many people will find that because the sounds are often pleasant, it's a little bit easier, but it could be like somebody also just going to the beach and maybe sitting on the beach and just using the sound of the waves or the ocean, but mm. the rhythmic sound of the waves can also be maybe a helpful way for them to get into a meditation state or a meditative practice. Now, of course, you know, if you're not near the beach or you can't get to it every day, I wouldn't recommend that that, you know, be like a primary practice because you'd have to at least be doing a little bit of, uh, you know, practice each day. That's really how I advise people to start. You know, don't think you need to force yourself to get into 20, 30 minutes or even a, an hour from the first day you try. Just start slow with a couple of minutes and slowly work your way up. Yes, good point. The When you when you went and sat at a, uh, when you did your first 10 day retreat in the Vipassana tradition, had you already been used to sitting for long periods like that or were, did you kind of jump in jump into the deep end and, and just uh, how did, <laughs> were, you, were, you prep, were you primed for it or was it a rude awakening but yet you know you got through it no i i actually was um prior to my first Vipassana experience i actually did a couple of retreats extended retreats at the zen monastery in upstate new york nice and uh but there we would sit but it's called Shikantaza, where you're trying to sit immobile like a mountain, like not moving mm. for periods of time. So mm. I was a little bit prepared for that. Uh-huh. Awesome. I, now, you had relayed a story to me where you did spend time, you, you already made mention today that you spent some time in India and in meditation retreat. Can you elaborate a little bit about what some of your experiences there were like? Absolutely. I've, I've really... Um, I've had the blessed opportunity to uh, to really spend some time in some wonderful places, wonderful monasteries, and um, um, had some really wonderful teachers. My f first foray into meditation was actually through the Kriya Yoga program. I'm, if many of you are familiar with um, Parmananda Yogananda, yes. well, I read his book, Autobiography of a Yogi, in the year 2000, and I said, oh my God, this is <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I have to learn this. <laughs> and so uh, that was my entrance into it. 
And, um, but that was here in the United States. And then most of my studies began, then I began studying and looking into different Buddhist forms of meditation. And through that, I had the blessed opportunity to meet and be uh, mentored by Jack Cornfield. Nice. And I was doing some work with him. And then I reached out to him before I was going to go to India and asked him if he would recommend maybe some good teachers over there or monasteries that I could, um, you know, look into and all that. But I did say that I, you know, studying with him and doing some work with Sharon Salzberg, most of my study was of the Theravada Buddhist tradition. Mm -hmm. And so I was really looking to maybe go over and learn more of Tibetan Buddhists and um, their practices and some of their meditation. And so I was able to connect with a monastery over in Bodhgaya, India. And Bodhgaya is where the Buddha had sat on the tree and attained his enlightenment um, of the Tibetan Buddhist tradition that is of the lineage of the Dalai Lama. And so I was able to go over there, spend some time living there, studying um, Tibetan Buddhist practices, a little bit of Buddhist psychology, and living sort of as a monk for a while. Um, You know, had to take the precepts and the vows and do a lot of karma work of cleaning the monastery and, you know, sweeping and cooking and doing all that. But uh, you got a good, really, introduction into... um, you know, solitude, silence, um, a lot of meditation time, as well as Dharma talks, which was all wonderful and a really great experience. And then um, and from that experience of that monastery, there was one time that I was there and a very high Tibetan Lama, Lama is a teacher, like a guru and within the Tibetan tradition. And um, he ended up being the heart son, or which in Tibetan Buddhism is like the spiritual son of the Dalai Lama. So he's a very high Lama within that tradition. Nice. And I got to do some time studying and doing learning from him and getting a couple of tantric initiations through him and everything. And after about three years of studying there, going back to India, back and forth for three years, um, just in 2019, I had the blessed opportunity to spend with that monastery five days taking teachings and initiations from the Dalai Lama himself. Nice. And that was probably the highlight of my journey so far because to be in his presence is very um, humbling. Uh, he does have a great presence of like peace and compassion that emanates from him. His laugh is infectious. And uh, it was just um, uh, an opportunity I never thought would ever come my way. And I'm very honored and humble that that did happen and be able to spend that time with him. That's, and then, uh, in terms cool. of, uh, yeah, it really was in terms of the Hindu practices. I, in, in Rishikesh, I spent some time living in an ashram over there and studying some Vedic meditations and, um, a little bit of Ayurveda, but I really don't do much within that sort of practice or the, you know, the, um, medicine part of that. But, um, I do find it interesting, you know, in terms of the way the East and Western medicine practices are. I wish there would be a little bit more coming together of those two sides because I believe that if there was, it'd be greater healing within the, our society if they did come together. Good point. I hear you. Well, that it seems that the work you're doing is is uh, building us in that direction. No, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. <laughs> and, and on that note, too, with I, I had an experience where. 
I was in Italy and some friends said, uh, the Dalai Lama was going, was coming to visit. Would you like to go see him? And there was a, a large crowd and I don't, speak Italian. I, I tried my best, but obviously that, that takes some, some a <laughs> little bit more practice than just, you know, your first visit style. And, um, and when, when he came out on the stage, the feeling through the crowd was so emotional and people, mm-hmm. some people just got giddy and some people yeah. were having a lot of emotion and he really didn't, hadn't even started to speak yet. It was just this humility that he carried in his just the way he walked and smiled it was pretty it was amazing and the whole time he spoke he spoke in tibetan which then was translated into italian so i really have no idea what he said but it it didn't it it didn't seem to matter like the overall vibe of the of the of the place was so uh relaxing and uh, invigorating uh at the same time it was just a Great experience. So I, I, when you say, you know, for those five days, it was maybe one of the crowning jewels of your, of your experience. I, I can see how that would be or why that would be. That must've been really, really nice. It really was. And in the Buddhist tradition, they would say that even though you didn't understand him, just being there in that space, yeah. you sort of like subconsciously absorbed what you needed from that anyway. <laughs> yeah. I do think that there's that, I believe that's true. That seems, that seems true on the level of what, what are you witnessing currently in terms of stress in the modern in today's world? Uh, and how are you, how are you working with people now? Cause we've had a a shift in terms of either through the digital, you know, here we get to work through the phone. Thank you for, for, you know, we can, we can do this through the uh, internet and phone. Um, what is a way that you're currently working with people? Right. Um, that's an excellent question because sadly the world that we do find ourselves in for many people has become a very stressful place, at least over the past year now, almost. Um, there have been a lot of studies recently passed within the about last three, four months that have shown that due to this um, new world that we found ourselves in since last March, the rugs were pulled out of from under many people. You know, their lives were changed overnight. You know, yeah. they had a job and didn't have a job. They're, what they thought their priorities in life were were um, totally not even there the next day. And so um, they were stressed about, you know, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to navigate this world? Yeah. And so many things began to happen and anxiety began to skyrocket and stress levels began to rise. And sadly, even um, there's been shown that depression and suicides have even escalated. Yeah. And so th- I don't, I wish that in schools they not only taught us like, you know, subjects like math and science and all this, but I wish they taught us life skills mm. because not many people really know how to handle difficult emotions when they arrive. Yeah. They don't really know how to navigate you know, the mind or sort of maybe pull back on the reins of the mind when it begins to sort of just run off and to these negative states and have like um, perseverating thoughts and rumination of, you know, all these things over and over and over again and begin to worry. And thankfully I did have, you know, 
my meditation practice to help me when I came back from India, because when I did, my whole world was the same way many other people's was. I came back and I had a year planned of, you know, retreats around the world in Peru and Italy and Bali and Thailand. And all of those were gone. And every studio that I was working at was totally shut down. So I came back and I had absolutely nothing, just like many of these people. But my meditation practice was able to say to me, okay, rather than, you know, spiraling down into, oh my God, what am I going to do and worrying all this? Of course I was, you know, concerned, but the meditation practice gave me the ability to say, okay, this is what life is presenting to me. How am I going to respond? Yes. And so I begin to, you know, shift things around. And so with people today, many people have been reaching out this past year uh, in terms of I do offer one-on-one meditation instructions and coaching and teachings of how to navigate, you know, the stressful world that we're in, deal with difficult emotions. And um, so they have been reaching out that, and I do those either online through Zoom. Um, there are some places that are open and if they're close, that we do it in person. So if they, you know, would want prefer personal one-on-one, we do do that also. But the majority of stuff over the past year has really been more through Zoom. Many people are still dealing, um, you know, with that whole idea yes. of not being around others. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's personally tailored to the person. So whatever it is they want to work through or work with, some people are just trying, they never meditated before. So they're just looking to find a way on how to begin a practice. Others have meditated, but maybe, you know, they said, you know, I was never able to cultivate that really daily consistent practice. So maybe what we do with somebody like that is we work together trying to find the method of meditation that really just does resonate with their particular personality. Because not everybody might be comfortable, like the example I gave before, if you just tell them, okay, sit in silence and watch your breath. Sometimes their mind is so chaotic and so worried and so, you know, busy that it's hard for them to do that. So in that case, they might need a different sort of meditation, like maybe a visualization technique or a loving kindness meditation or something like that, where it takes the mind off of just the silence and seeing how busy it is and focuses it on something else. So yes. it's, it might be helpful in that way. And so we do that. There's some people that are right now dealing with difficult emotions, dealing with anxiety. So we work with ways to help them, you know, manage that, navigate that and see how, you know, a lot of our stress and our anxiety is really due to the, um, the ability of the mind to have free reign, just go wherever it wants to go, think whatever thoughts it wants to think. Mm -hmm. And so what many of these practices are helping us to do is really pull back on those reins and focus the mind and learn how to concentrate the mind and say, okay, rather than going here or there right now, we're just going to try to focus on this moment. Nice. That's awesome. As you were, as you were explaining that, it, it made me, makes me think how great of an opportunity it is to study with a teacher uh, one-on-one. And it, it, that's something that it seems that we hear stories from the old school days in India where there weren't these large mass group yoga classes, everyone lined up in rows and on a mat and, you know, where there was this one-on-one instruction. And I I think that that if we do search for silver linings, because I really like that you, when you when you felt like uh, 
carpet got pulled, rug got pulled out from underneath and all of my plans have basically been scrapped. And, but you are choosing to figure out a solution. And I, I think that's what, what we're all trying to do here. And I, I think it could be for the better in the sense that if people have the opportunity to study with you one-on-one and practice with a teacher one-on-one could be a really great way, like you said, to find the the correct or an appropriate method of meditation for the situation at hand. So maybe that's one of the silver linings that might come out of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. And yes, that, I, I believe that that's true because sometimes, you know, without the personal teacher without the personal guide, sometimes we either one don't know where to begin or we're not even sure of once we start beginning, like where we're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And I often navigate, like I also, I often talk about navigating our minds is often like climbing Mount Everest because it's, you know, so this hills and valleys and there's all these things, the mind jumps from here to there. And sometimes we're, we're wondering like, well, how do I deal with this or how, where would I even go to work to get this, to strengthen this or to, whatever. And look, you can read books on meditation and they're wonderful. There's wonderful resources out there. There's wonderful ways to start. There are very good ones that will give you a solid foundation on where to begin. But when you have a guide with somebody who's been doing the practice for a long period of time to ask questions to and to help you with your particular mind, because every mind is different, Mm. then that's very, very helpful. Because if you wanted to climb Mount Everest, if you just read a book, <laughs> chances are it's so difficult that you, you, many people have tried and died along the way. Yes. But the ones that go and get a Sherpa who know how to get up and down the mountain, who've done it a, many times before with others, who've taken other people up there and guided them, they know where the pitfalls are. Mm. They know which roads are easier. They know how to get around certain obstacles. And that's what you get by working one-on-one with a teacher. You have the ability to use their experience to help them, and they can then help you to say, okay, listen, you're, this is what's happening with your mind right now. You know, you're, you're attached to this. So you have, you're having an aversion towards that. And, you know, doubt is creeping in. And so it, it's very, very helpful to have that person that you can talk to other than just maybe a book that you're reading and the pages can't really talk to your back or guide you in your particular um, case. Yeah, that's a really good point. I remember kind of pondering that idea with uh, learning language, like the question being, can I learn a language from reading books? And, And then in my own experience, like trying to learn Spanish and listening to a audio program and trying to learn it by repeating it, but by that method and books that then when I landed in a Spanish speaking country and started to try to speak, I was like, not, it wasn't really happening. <laughs> it's a totally different thing. <laughs> and, and the feedback that people would, that were willing, the kind enough to try to help me, that's where I yeah. really started to learn. And, yeah. and it through someone who knows the language. So I think right. you're right. And, it, and I, I remember too, the first time I heard the idea of meditation, I thought like meditation is just meditation. Then you start getting involved in it and you realize there's so many different paths and so many different traditions and styles and techniques. It almost seems complicated and, and <laughs> or, or that there's, there's so much to learn. And I love yeah. that balance between 
the simplicity of like there's you're really not learning anything you're unlearning almost so it's yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah. interesting it's interesting you've had a, I, I don't know if well i got to ask this question you've had a chance to try practice in a lot of different traditions is there one that speaks to you more than another and i know this would be this is very personal because each person has a different way of seeing the world but which which way are you gravitating these days uh, that that's an excellent question because the truth is that it's sort of changed throughout the years like in the beginning when i first started i was like all gung-ho with uh kriya yoga and that was what i was doing for for a long period of time. But then when I went to um, live in the Buddhist monasteries, most of the time I was working with, um, you know, mindfulness of the breath or even these things called jhana practices in which you're really trying to get through these stages of concentration and deepen your levels of concentration. Mm. Um, but it's sort of changed over the past, maybe about five, six years in which now I've been doing a lot of, and it's probably because like I said, earlier i wasn't um too adept in them i've been doing a lot of tibetan meditations now most specifically um meditations which are called tantric meditations. not tantra like people think of here in the united states that yes. is somehow tied to sexual thing it's spiritual tantra in which you're trying to tantra often is translated into weaving like yoga means to like bind together to yoke or to unite mm. well um the uh, the tantric practices are the same thing. They're trying to weave you with a particular energy um, and the energy of you know your true self or your um, you know divine essence or you know that whatever label you want to put on that the part of you that is beyond your physical nature. And so I've been doing a lot of meditations within those practices. Nice, that's cool. I appreciate that. Sometimes I'll I'll read books where the author will present a lot of different ideas and, and, I'll, and I'll be wondering like, I wonder which one they ended up going with <laughs> <laughs> as if that would help make my journey easier. It probably that doesn't because it's personal. It's almost like good, yeah. a, a good journalist or a good um, investigator stays out of it, so to speak, to present the information. So it's unbiased. So therefore okay. you can make your own, you know, decision, but yep. I, I do appreciate that. I think the tantric teachings uh, in Tibetan Buddhism are incredible. And yeah, they're, they're very, they're a complex system though. And some people get a little bit, um, sort of like it's daunting because it uses a lot of visualizations and, you know, focus and all these sort of things. And there's also usually some incorporation of mantra and all that. So it's like you're doing a couple of things all at once. That's cool. If I recently came across someone that said they were going through some bouts of depression and were are, are having some PTSD from trauma associated with uh, work that was that was uh, very difficult. Yeah. Um, what would you what would you recommend like if you were to give like a very short instruction today for like a, just very basic for someone sure. who's really having a tough time 
And uh, like you made mention, there there is a lot. Of, a lot of us are really stressed out, and you know, and, yeah. and on unstable ground. And, and I I realize that I'm asking you to give a prescription for a on a relatively vague notion. But yeah. on that notion, what would you suggest? Sure. Uh, there's a lot of research that meditation and mindfulness practices can be very helpful. But what the Anyone who's going through depression or something traumatic or dealing with some sort of trauma needs to know is that those traumas and those things such as depression need to be touched compassionately. Mm. So sometimes when we're in our meditations, the traumas can begin to present themselves or, you know, you, you see um, or begin to maybe start experiencing things again. And if that does become the case, you don't just sort of push your way through it. You sort of just touch it gently and sit with it and maybe try to notice it and what it's making you feel and maybe what underlying sensations or thoughts may be attached to that. But if it becomes too overwhelming, then it's okay to not sit any longer. You know, get up and do what you need to do. And then maybe you want to try to come back and touch it again. Or maybe it's just a little bit too overwhelming so you don't do it in, you know, until th- tomorrow or another day or another, yeah. you know, session but yeah when we're dealing with um you know depressions and trauma there's sometimes people say you know they'll say well you know just push through it just you got to go through it or get you know um just deal with it but those are not very helpful um bits of advice in many traumatic and depressive situations there's a wonderful book by john kapitzen called the mindful way through depression mm. and that is a might be a very helpful way to start because it does give you little um anyone who's dealing with that little bit of guidance on how to use these tools and these methods for your particular situation but when we're dealing with the trauma aspect of it the number one thing is to just you know allow yourself to touch that trauma gently don't don't power through that because you don't want to re-traumatize yourself. Yeah. Good advice. I like that you mentioned that book. I have not read that book, but uh, he's a great author. Great author. I'll have to check that one out. Please do. Yep. How are you feeling, Anthony, in terms of the, the future? Uh, I, I know I'm not asking you to predict the future, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I, I I personally have been feeling optimistic in yep. regards to a transition in terms of, you know, there are vaccinations that yep. there there is movement in a direction toward um that we'll get through this and over it, over the hurdle. Yep. I I'm also realizing it's probably going to take a little more time than Absolutely. I originally thought, but how are you, how are you envisioning, um, this next year? What, where, how are you <laughs> feeling about this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I'm, I'm positive and I'm hopeful. Um, I believe that there we're making strides to move in right directions. The fact that we do have a couple of different vaccine options out there will give us a good indication on, you know, um, which one's are the most effective, Mm -hmm. which one is the best, um, from the medical perspective, uh, I see that, you know, actually having vaccinations this quickly was sort of a miracle in and of itself, Mm -hmm. you know, because, and I don't really know, and I'd have to research, um, but 
I not off the top of my head do I know any uh, vaccine, whether it was polio or mumps or measles or anything else, that was found. I think in this short of a period of time. Yeah. And so that is a um, scientific, you know, big hurdle that they overcame by having uh, quite a few different ones out there, which is very, very beneficial to moving forward in a good direction. Yeah. Because if we at least didn't have something then we'd still be in a state of, well, yes. you know, what do we do? Where do we go from here? Do we do yeah. continue lockdowns? Do we, yeah. you know, do all of this and all of that? So I am help, uh, hopeful because of them that we will be moving in a good direction. And I also am hopeful because of the fact that um, one of my favorite psychologists and thinkers and psychiatrists actually is a man named Carl Jung. Mm. And he was always of the perception that, you know, when things are difficult or when things are bad, those give us an opportunity to actually then recognize or make a change to find the good. Yeah. And so it's like the opposite. It's like you can't appreciate one without having the other. And so while this might have been a very difficult year, while this might have been a, a very um, challenging year, while it might have been one in which led to great grief and sadness for any families or anyone who, um, any family member that got sick or, God forbid, even died from all of this, uh, while that might have been a very negative and traumatic and sad experience, the contrast of that will also allow us to find the good and see the positive and appreciate that so much more, or also move people towards working, towards bringing the positive experience into reality again. Nice. So I think this could be a very motivating time as well for people who say, hey, the direction that this was wasn't a good one, so let's all collectively start trying to move this in a positive direction. And I am hopeful that, um, and positive in the sense that I do think that will be the case. Well said, Anthony. I appreciate that. No problem. Good job, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's great. Well, I, I do agree. And um, I also like the idea that with another year, ahead of us for, you know, research and, um, feedback. We're, we're just going to be that much more knowledgeable. I, and, you know, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day today to speak with me. And, uh, thank you so much, Anthony. I really enjoy, I've enjoyed so much my opportunity that I've had to, to take your meditation classes and, and I really, um, I, I really looked forward to this conversation in the preceding days before we schedule this. I was excited to have a chance to speak with you. So I, I really appreciate your time. And um, is there anything that you would like to leave us with? I feel like you shared a lot of good information and insights. Uh, is there anything else on your mind and or uh, a message that you can, can leave us with? Uh, well, I just, the only one that I would sort of leave with is the fact that, you know, if we are looking to make this a better world or a better place, you know, many people look to changing the outside world, but the true change must begin within ourselves. There's a very common quote by Gandhi, you know, be the change you wish to see in the world. Yes. And there's another very common one by um, the Sufi mystic Rumi that says, you know, yesterday I was so clever, I wanted to change the world. But now, today, I'm so wise, I'm changing myself. Nice. And these practices that we were talking about today, such as meditation, mindfulness practice, all of these sort of things, they really give us the opportunity to 
look within ourselves and change certain things and learn about ourselves. And so I believe that the more people that begin to do these practices and work with these practices, that it will be, um, you know, much more, a much better world in the future. Nice. I agree. I second that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, Anthony, man. Thanks so much. I really appreciate this. And, um, I, I I can't wait to have you back. Like that, that's the way I'm, I'm think I want to thank and, and like, it's, it's going to be sooner rather than later. And we're going to be able to get our yoga mats out again, some pillows (laughs) and some blankets (laughs) and have an epic sound bath, uh, sound bath again. So, um, thank you, Anthony. And I, I really can't wait to uh, connect again in the future. Well, Todd, you don't know what a pleasure this has been for me just to reconnect with you, talk with you. It's been a real honor, and I truly appreciate you for reaching out to me and asking me to be on on this and talk with you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person soon. All right. Thanks, Anthony. Have a great one. You too. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks again, everybody. Remember, you can check us out at nativeyogacenter.com and wishing you a wonderful day.